everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, please join me in listening to an interview with Carrie Wall, a fellow acquired anosmic currently living in British Columbia, Canada. Carrie is a facilitator and mediator, women's leadership expert, and writer. We chat about what it was like for her to become anosmic, how she's dealt with the grief of her loss, how anosmia has inspired her to become involved in politics, and much more. Our interview was recorded in August 2019. Let's jump into the show. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much, Katie. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from and where did you grow up? Sure. So I live in Canada. I was born in Canada. Right now I live in the province of British Columbia. Um, in the southeastern corner of the province, I'm I'm about less than sixty miles north of the board of the Montana border. I live in the Rocky Mountains. That's really cool. So, do you ever go down into Montana? Sometimes we do. Actually, the closest bowling alley is in Montana, and uh, <laughs> I live in a really small town. It's a ski resort town, kind of a coal mining place. It's called Fernie. And sometimes we do go into Montana or Idaho. Wow. Oh, yeah. So most listeners will know that I'm from Idaho. So that's that's pretty cool. Northern Idaho is definitely different from where I grew up, though, in the, so- the southern part of the state. Right. The northern part of Idaho looks a lot like where I live here in the mountainous forests. Yeah. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your anosmia story? Sure. Oh, and I'm, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to tell you where I grew up, but I, oh, I didn't yeah, grow up. Sorry, I didn't grow up here. This is where I live currently. I grew uh-huh. up in the province of Saskatchewan, which is also happens to be north of Montana, but it's more like it's the prairies. It's like the breadbasket of the prairies of Canada. I grew okay. up in a city called Saskatoon there. So I come from the prairies, but now I live in the mountains. What brought you, what brought you and your family to the mountainous area of Canada? My, um, the father of my son is a big skier and he, well, we'd actually met in Vancouver, which is on the Pacific coast of British Columbia or, and, uh, anyway, he wanted to move here. Well, actually we didn't meet there, but we were previously living there, but he wanted to live here in, in the ski town. And so I ended up moving here and we've been co-parenting for many years, both living in this town and our son's been able to be with both of us. It's been really well, but it's gone really well. Oh, good. So what's the yeah. population of the town that you live when there's the town, no tourists the, around? Yeah, the town I live in is just over 5,000 people. Um, wow. It's, it's quite small, um, but um, I moved here basically to, to raise my son and co-parent him with his dad. And our son now, he'll be, he's 22 now, and he just graduated from university with his degree. So everything's gone really well here. That's great. That's so awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your anosmias? story what's your background with uh with anosmia i sure can so i've been anosmic for about 15 months i i got anosmia i started it started in may of 2018 and uh certainly not as long as you but that, i mean it's whatever it's that's the length of time it's been right um it's interesting it started in may 2018 I was having which really seemed to me to be a regular bout of spring allergies, which I normally get at the beginning of May, like pretty much ever since I moved here 11 years ago. Um, the, the spring comes quite late here because we're up high in the mountains. 
And then as the leaves and the blossoms come out at the beginning of May, I tend to get a bit of a runny nose, you know, and I was blowing my nose a lot that week. It was like early May. And I thought, oh yeah, I'm having an allergic reaction. I didn't feel sick. I had no other symptoms. I kept going with my regular activities and exercise. Like I didn't feel run down or sick at all. But then when that ended, you know, like about a week later, I was no longer blowing my nose. My, everything was cleared up. And then I realized I couldn't smell. And what happened was I, um, I'd gone for a mountain bike ride one day and I came home and I took off my clothes and I smelled my, my jersey, my shirt. Cause I thought, oh, it's, can I wear this again tomorrow or is it really bad? And I smelled it and I thought, oh, smells fine. I, right? I, guess I, I guess I didn't sweat very much. And then the next day I wore it again. I went mountain biking again the next day and I took it off and I smelled it. And I was like, it still doesn't smell. I thought, okay, that's odd. And then after the, like, immediately after I jumped in the shower and I was shampooing my hair and then I realized my very fragrant shampoo, I could not smell. Wow. And, and then, and then of course I tried to smell all the things and, and right. there was no smell. So what happened after, um, after that moment for you? So you, you kind of started to figure it out. What was your, what was your first reaction to that? Did you talk about it to anyone? Did you go to the doctor? I did. I did talk about it. Actually, I brought it up at work. I work, I, I work for a, the healthcare system, although I'm not a healthcare practitioner, I work in policy. And so I work, it, because we have a small town, all the healthcare facilities are, are right in the hospital, basically. We have a small, a small rural hospital here. And so in the break room, I was asking the nurses, like, what do you think's going on with me? Um, you know, I've, I have access to nurses, which is a really nice resource. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a couple of them were like, oh, maybe you have a small brain tumor. <laughs> oh. You know, they're very, very medical. nonchalant about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, this is like their regular, you know, medical job. And so <laughs> I remember one person said, maybe you've got a small tumor on your pituitary gland. Hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But like no one used the word anosmia. I didn't have any idea what was going on. But my sister, years and years ago, I have a younger sister who had had a small tumor on her pituitary gland. Oh. And so then, I, so then I thought, oh, I wonder if that's a thing. So about five weeks later, I did contact my GP. I think it took me a while because partly I was a little bit in denial. And I thought, oh, I've had injuries before. It'll just turn around. You know, I just sort of thought, oh, this, can, you know, this is going to have to change. Mm -hmm. I, I just had such a hard time thinking it could just go on. So about five weeks later, another nurse had convinced me, you should talk to your doctor. So I talked to my GP and I mentioned this thing that my sister had had a tumor on her pituitary gland. She said, well, we should get you checked out. So she referred me to the ears, nose, throat specialist who's like in another city a little ways away because our town is so small. We don't have that resource. Mm -hmm. um, and then so that was, you know, June. I went to my GP. Well, actually, she had put me on a nasal spray at first. We did two rounds of a nasal spray. Didn't do anything. And then she referred me to the ears, nose, throat guy. I went and saw him once. He looked up my nose with the special camera. He says, well, there's no blockages. Everything looks normal, which I was pretty sure was going to be the case. He sent me for a CT scan. That came back normal. So this is now all into the fall, like September, October. Then he referred me for an MRI. 
to have another closer look at my brain. You know, and I think it's because they thought, well, this is strange. And also they thought maybe there is a risk that she has a little tumor. But the MRI, that was in December. So that's just, you know, I started in May 2018. And then by December 2018, I got my MRI and it came back clear. And uh, just a few days after Christmas, I went to see him again. And he showed me the scan, you know, on this big screen in his office. And he looked at my nose again and he said, there's nothing wrong with you. Wow. And uh, and it basically said, you know, you're you're fine. Good luck. And the doctors I saw, they didn't appear to be concerned or or really caring, which I found so troubling at the time. But since then, after listening to so many of your smell podcasts and reading so much more online and being part of the Facebook groups, which I I didn't find till later. But since then, I've realized that's a normal occurrence. And that's what seems to be most people's experience. Yeah, just listening to your story, it, it just, it's the same story of so many of us. Um, yeah. Trying nasal sprays, getting CTs and MRIs, and then just kind of like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, bye. <laughs> like we rolled out everything negative, which is great. I mean, that's always good news to know that you don't have a brain tumor, to know that you don't have polyps or something like that. But yeah. That's kind of scary when you're just, um, I don't know if the word dismissed is accurate, but when you're, when that journey ends and you're not sure what the next steps are anymore. That's exactly right. Cause when that journey ended, then there was no, it didn't seem like I had a path in front of me any longer because it wasn't until afterwards that I learned about smell training or anything. So I felt dismissed and I felt alone and I felt confused and I felt sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Well, um, I'm not the only one, one but things, thank you. Yeah, no, but it's still. So one of the things that we had spoken about a little bit when you, you first sent me an email was uh, the grief process for you. So do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Like how have you dealt with the grief over losing your sense of smell and how has that impacted you? Yeah, I'm really happy to talk about that. I think it's a really big part of my particular story. And I think it's something that other listeners might be able to benefit from hearing. Happy to share. So what really hit me, so after, like you say, I kind of come to that end of that medical journey when I was told that everything was fine, but I didn't feel fine. I sort of was hoping, you know, that they would find something or there'd be some reason. And so I didn't really, I mean, I was sad and I was feeling more and more disconnected from the world, but it didn't really hit me until the end of December when I'd got the sort of the clearance from the ears, nose, throat specialist that, you, you know, there's nothing we can do. You're fine. That it really hit me that I felt that I've been dropped into the, the real true abyss of this loss. And uh, the thing I really noticed that really impacted me, even from the fall, I noticed it, and this carried on for months, this real sense of a profound loss was that I felt so disconnected from myself and other people and the world. And I have heard other people speak about this since, but not being able to smell myself is a really disorienting and surreal experience. You know, you live your whole life, or I had, because I've, I'm acquired an osmic. I wasn't born this way. I lived my mm -hmm. whole life smelling, you know, my bodily smells. And... Right. Um, you know, being connected to myself as a, 
human on this earth in this place you know like smell is such a part of that um you know when we're babies and we can smell our mothers and you know i am a mother and i remember can smell my baby that's just such a primal key part of our human experience and i remember thinking who do am i even here if i can't smell myself like it was such a strange disconnect you know and i couldn't smell my right. friends when i hugged them any longer i could no longer smell the rain the the forest the flowers the the fall you know like any of that i felt disconnected from the seasons from the world it seemed like outside was just like a bigger inside you know people would say like oh step outside it's beautiful outside and i'd think well it's the same as inside it's just bigger like i just had such a <laughs> odd feeling of mm -hmm. of being in space and uh this is similar to how i've heard other people talk about it too since but I remember at the time I explained to people, it's like I'm living in a movie because I see everything happening in front of me on the screen. I can hear everything that's going on, you know, but I can't smell it just because you can't smell movies. Movies are totally this like listening and watching experience. Yeah. And I thought, well, now my life feels like a listening and watching experience. I'm living in a movie and I've heard other people say, you know, it feels like there's a veil between me and the world or there's like a screen or I'm behind like a glass box, you know, like people have described a similar thing. I use this movie analogy, but now I know that other people have really used a similar kind of comparison. So that of course was just all very sad as I felt like, am I even human? Am I even here? Where are my people? All of yeah. that was really profoundly sad for me. Yeah. <laughs> I know the, the one, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So, and what you're describing, I had spoken with um, Alona Owusu, who's from the Dutch and Alzheimer's Patient Association. Yes. And they, yes. they actually published their magazine, and, and I can't remember how you say it, but, but um, it means like behind glass. Right. I remember that episode. Yeah. So that just, when you're talking about that, that just reminds me of that, that magazine that they published that literally means behind glass. And that's how yeah. it feels to experience the world without a sense of smell. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I can say more about this grief journey, if you like. Yes, please. Uh, okay, great. So I belong to an organization. I'm part of an organization. It's an international organization that's actually based out of the States. It's called Reevaluation Counseling. And I've been involved with them for 24 years. And, it's, um, and I'm, I'm a teacher and a, a leader in some of the reevaluation counseling work that goes on. And what it is, it's a big international peer counseling organization. So it really helps people come together to do peer counseling, which is essentially like taking turns in partners, mostly listening to each other and counseling each other. So this has been a resource in my life, like I say, for like 24 years. And I'm heavily involved in the organization. And so this was an outlet that I could use to talk about my loss, my disconnect, my sadness. And I, and I used it fully. So what happens for most of us, I think, when we're young and just living in, our, in the world, we're taught to avoid pain. You know, our parents make all the efforts they can to take our pain away when we're little, you know? They want mm -hmm. our lives to go well. They want us to feel good. They want us to be happy. And everywhere we see people escaping their pain. But using the process of reevaluation counseling, 
I had people to talk to almost every day who were there to be loving witnesses to my pain. You know, people who had attention for my upset, people who could hold space for all the feelings I was having. And I really think that this resource of having someone to talk to who says, tell me more about how terrible this is. Tell me, tell me more about how awful you feel. And then I'm, you know, on the other end of the phone, which is I'm doing it in, on the phone mostly because I live in a small town. Right. Um, I'm there, you know, crying about how terrible I feel, talking about how alone I feel being angry about how I felt like I was dismissed by the medical practitioners and I don't know what to do next or whatever. And I was able to access this process for months. Um, I mean, I still am part of it, obviously, but I don't, I'm not working on that topic um, quite the same way that I was for a period of many, many months. So I had opportunity to cry and cry and cry and cry with interested listeners who were there to hold space and say, how, what's it like today to be anosmic? Uh, tell me what you're noticing today. Uh, how are you feeling right now? That sounds and like I, an amazing resource. It, it, really, it really was. And it's honestly, you know, non-judgmental. No one's there going, oh my gosh, you want to talk about this again? You know, like nothing like that. Because I could also use my friends. You know, my friends were interested. How are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, what's happening with you? But um with friends, it's not the kind of same kind of resource. And I think sometimes friends, they don't want to be burnt out. Of course, you want to be there for your friends. Also, they right. might feel a little bit burdened by your story over and over again. But because I have the resource of the peer counselors, it's a little bit different than having friends. So obviously having friends is huge, which I'm so grateful for my friends. They've been wonderful. And then I have this peer counseling resource that really made me feel like I had this like loving support wrapped around me. That's amazing. Is that something that other people can access? It's possible. Anybody really can learn reevaluation counseling if they're interested. Um, mostly it takes place in bigger cities, but there, there are people that do reevaluation counseling all over the world. We have a, there's a website. Uh, it's called rc.org, RC for reevaluation counseling. And that would be a great place for people to like read more about what is this process is it possible that I could get involved? Yeah, I'll definitely have to include that in the episode notes if anyone is interested in that. If you would like, you sure, sure, sure can. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then part of my anosmia story, too, is that in uh, February was so uh, at the end of December was when I'd had my MRI and my appointment with the doctor and told there was nothing they could do. I remember January was like a dark and sad time, which is January's dark and sad for a lot of people. But by February, through the power of Instagram, I was able to, through that, find your podcast. Oh, good. And then th through that, find the Facebook groups. And through that, find the Manel Research Center. And then I learned about smell training. And after, from February on, things really got brighter for me in terms of my ability to find resources and hear other people's stories and feel like I was less alone and I was validated and connecting. So I had this whole grieving process going on and then I was finally able to get information. That's amazing. That makes me really happy because that's the goal of the podcast is, is to help people. Your podcast has helped me so much, Katie, which is partly why I wanted to reach out because I thought, 
you've been a resource to me and maybe my story can be a resource to others. You've, you've been, you've really helped enormously in my, in my anosmia journey. Oh, that makes me very happy. <laughs> good, good. Yay. It's good Yay. to get feedback. <laughs> it's, it's so good to like, to hear that. So I'm, I'm really happy. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, so did it just pop up on Instagram from someone, you know, well, ah, I mean, I had friends, I had some friends doing research for me online. I was doing research. Like, I don't remember. I remember at the very beginning when I first saw my GP, she used the term anosmia. Oh, good. And then I'd forgotten it. And I don't remember the ears, nose, and throat specialist ever using the term. And I had forgotten the term. And because I felt so dismissed by the doctors, and I think also because I felt alone and scared and sad, I kind of, my, my brain didn't really kick in in a way that maybe it could have if I wasn't so full of the bad feelings. Mm. So I had friends, and I remember I had a friend saying, oh, well, you have anosmia. I, I've been looking online. <laughs> I was like oh, tell me more. And, um, and I think as I was sort of trying to clear out all those heavy, sad feelings, you know, I was doing lots of crying, lots of talking about it in my peer counseling sessions. As I kind of cleared away those feelings, my brain kind of came online a little better, which is what is the purpose of the peer counseling. The purpose is clear out the bad feelings so that your brain can get online and you can, you know, act rationally and do good things in the world. So my brain did kind of come online and then I started doing the research. And I remember I posted one day on Instagram about my condition, my experience, because I had friends, a lot of friends interested, like what's going on? Tell me more. I've never heard of this. And so I posted on Instagram about it and I had posted previously on Facebook and Instagram, but I'd never hashtagged. I never put a a hashtag there, but then I hashtagged Mm. anosmia. And then I was like, why don't you see if other people have used that hashtag? Well, a whole world opened up. (laughs) Oh, good. And then I went down the rabbit hole of hashtag anosmia, which is what led me to podcasts. And then I learned about all the things after that. And it just, social media, that's what did it for me. Yeah, social media for the win. For the win. Because I was seeing nobody in my circle, in my world, you know, outside social media that knew anything about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, just, you just mentioned that you found out about smell training as well. Have you attempted to do smell training now? Yes. So in March and April, so in February was kind of when I was doing the bulk of my learning and listening to a lot of your pod, your back podcasts, I downloaded a bunch. I joined one and then two and then three different of the Facebook groups for people with olfactory disorders and anosmia of different kinds. Okay. And, uh, you know, reading a lot of threads on there and interacting with people there. Then I learned about Manel. I read that book, The Scent of Desire, which I'd heard you first talk about on one of your podcasts. I know you've mentioned it a few times. Yeah. So I ordered that book in from, to, to our library because we don't have it in our own little library here, but you can order books from other libraries to come. So I read that and then I knew, okay, I should start smell training. And so in March and April, I was just using like, I had five or six little bottles of essential oils, but I was just smelling from the bottle, from that like tiny little opening in the bottle. Yeah, uh-huh. But then I was learning online more that that was kind of a crappy way to do it. Like that wasn't the best way to get the most smell happening. 
Right. So then at the beginning of May, I did order some smell training jars from Absinthe online. Very cool. With Chris Kelly. Yes, I was very glad I did. So I, you know, because I remember I looked around, I thought, oh, maybe I can buy these somewhere. But of course, I live in a small town. There's a lot of things we don't have. So I just finally said, well, just buy the jars. So I ordered them online. Of course, they came in the mail. (laughs) And then now I've been properly smell training with the little brown jars and the discs and the, you know, the little kind of absorbent paper discs in the bottom. Uh I've been doing that for three months, the last three months. I basically started mid-May. And now it's mid-August-ish. Yeah, so about three months I've been smell training every day, multiple times a day, with the, with the proper setup. And how and, is it um, going? I, I, I can't really say I've smelled any of them ever. But you mentioned that woman who's working with that group in the Netherlands, that Dutch group. She's, she's not Dutch, but I can't remember her name now. Alona Awusu. Alona. Thank you. I remember listening to your interview with her, I think that was just over a month ago, and she said that she was smell training for nine months before she really got anywhere. Yep. And I was like, okay, good. (laughs) Keep going, Carrie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm so happy that you are doing it. That's one of my biggest struggles um, myself is just to keep at it. Just do it because it can't hurt you. It can only help you. Right. And then hopefully, hopefully one day you'll start getting some of the smells back. That'll be amazing if you do. It would be amazing. And I'm going to just keep with it because what I've learned from the groups and the podcast, especially this one with Alana, you know, just keep going. Yeah, definitely. And I know um, Chris Kelly's charity Absent that you ordered your smell training kit from, she has resources on her website to talk about like the best way to do it and, and like tips and tricks and things like that. But I know that she's planning to launch an app and it's probably going to be coming out in the next few months, but it'll be a smell training app where you can actually like track your progress. So that's, that's coming on the horizon if you haven't heard of that before. Yeah, I did hear that. And I think that's a really exciting development. Yes, me too. That'll be really helpful for me as well. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah, it will be useful for a lot of us. Yeah, I think just having it in a visual format where you can keep track of it and maybe reminders to the, to tell you, hey, it's time to do your smell training today, that will be helpful. So awesome. In, in your email also at the beginning when we were speaking, you had talked a little bit about how becoming anosmic has impacted your decision to start getting involved in politics where you live. Yeah. Is that accurate? Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did that, how did anosmia impact that decision? It's interesting because I I can see the through line looking back, but of course at the time I had no idea that that was something that was going to happen. But I really relate it to the healing that I've been able to do by really embracing the grief and and going through all these stages of loss that I that I have been able to with, you know, my, my peer counseling practice and fully feeling the feelings. So as I you know cried and talked and raged about this totally unfair thing that was happening to me that was disconnecting me from the world that I felt so terrible about I kind of hooked into this part of myself I guess that I would just call wanting you know like I want to smell I want to be part of the world again I want to feel normal I want it back and I really deeply explored the feelings around this wanting and I like, I think when we're little, we again, we're not really encouraged 
to really want in that deep, deep way. I remember as a little child, for example, <laughs> wanting a puppy really bad, right? In that way that a little child can just want with all her heart, I want a puppy. And my parents saying, no, it's not going to happen. You know, get over it. You know, here, distract yourself. No, stop thinking about that. You know, there was no space for me to just want with all my broken heart, right? right. <laughs> so, which is nothing bad about my parents. I think a lot of us are just, you know, that's kind of the world we live in right now. We don't really have a lot of space for people to want and feel brokenhearted. But as I got to have months and months of exploring this wanting, I kind of connected with a part of myself that wanted other things. And I suddenly, it was just, you know, again, couldn't predict this, not planned. But I remember just thinking like, yeah, I want, uh, I, I want, I want to change things. And I thought, well, maybe I can't change this anosmia business, but maybe there's other things in the world I could change. Like what else can I want? And I, it's weird. I don't know. It's kind of weird to use the term wanter, but I kind of felt like my wanter was no longer broken. Like I could just want, what do I want? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, I get it. <laughs> It's such an interesting experience because as I look back on it, I could see, right? Like I had all these kind of doors that got closed on me, like I, sensual doors, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, no longer being able to be sensually involved with my food or the world or other people in the same way, you know, like these doors were closed, but somehow this grieving, which opened up this wanting opened other doors. And, That's awesome, uh, though. I, I couldn't exciting. have, yeah. I could, yeah, I couldn't have predicted that. But, and also, I mean, I think I probably come across as quite extroverted. I've always thought of myself as an extrovert. I love chatting. I love people, being with people. And there was something about me that kind of like, I remember thinking, oh, I'm becoming a little more introverted. I became a little more internal, you know, not experiencing the outside world in the same way. I was a little more in my head, a little more internal, and then wanting these other things. And I got involved with um, the Green Party, which is in lots of places in the world. I, I don't really know the U.S. system so well, but I think there's Green Party action happening in the U.S. There's certainly more here, and there's a lot in the U.K. and in, in Europe. But mm -hmm. now I've been involved with the Green Party. We have a federal election in Canada this fall in October 2019, so where we're going to elect new members of parliament and a new prime minister. And uh, early, like in, in May this year, I just suddenly found myself wanting to be involved in that. And I've never wanted that ever before in my life. And I wanted to be involved and I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to know what I could do. And I, I stepped up to be, um, to, to be in a, nom a nomination contest, to be nominated to be the Green Party candidate in my local electoral district. And I was hoping to be elected and go to Parliament, to Ottawa to be in the federal government. That's um, amazing. That, that's huge, right? Like that's just massively different and huge for me. So I, I was in a nomination contest. It ended up being between, originally it was four people and then the two people dropped out. So it was between myself and another wonderful woman. We had a, there was a nomination contest. There was a vote. So Green Party members within the electoral district can vote for who they choose to be the candidate. And the other woman actually got the vote so she's now the candidate in the election her name will be on the ballot this fall but i was only three votes behind her 
it was wow, a very close awesome. vote. And now I'm, I'm working very hard on her campaign because for me, it's not about, um, you know, my ego or personal fame. It's really about wanting to impact and change the system. So even though I'm not the candidate, I'm working very hard on her campaign. We're, we're working very close together. And now I'm involved in federal politics, which again, a year ago, I could have never imagined for myself. That's really cool. That's a cool story. And I'm glad that I'm sorry that your name didn't get to go forward, but it's amazing to me that you have put all of that energy that you would have done into your own campaign into supporting this other woman. Yeah, thank you. I really believe in supporting other women and getting behind causes that we believe in. That's what I want. So when will you guys find out? When will she know? The the election is on October 21st. Okay. Um, so it's is that about what, two months that, out? Well, August, September, October. Yeah, just over two months. Just over two months from now. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing to be involved in. And I'm not feeling very sad or, you know, too involved in my anosmia currently. I, I don't know if the feelings will come up again or whatever, but I've sort of adapted to life and sort of in, just involved myself in really other things, like I say, beyond the sensual world, almost more intellectual pursuits in a way, or, you know, activism, political activism, really. It's, it's just interesting how my life has really changed. It's a good, it's a good side distraction that's yeah. doing good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it's helping distract you from having an osmia, which can be really awful, but it's also something that you're passionate about and that is helping improve the world. I think that's a, I think that's a win-win solution. I think so too. Okay. So speaking of your anosmia, You've been anosmic for over a year now, so it's yeah. relatively recent for you in terms of the food that you, that you like to eat. So I'm wondering if you can compare and contrast, how do you think that having become anosmic has impacted the foods that you've chosen to eat since last, since May of 2018 to now? Do you, has anything changed or is it exactly the same as it was before? It's changed so much. It's really changed profoundly how I feel about food and eating. And uh, that's, that's been a really major hard part of the whole loss is uh, I, 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 some people were talking in a, in a Facebook group a few months ago about food. I mean, it constantly comes up in the, in the Facebook groups about food and eating. And, and I'd made a comment. I said, food is dead to me now because mm -hmm. it, it really is. It's really, I just eat for, for, for fuel, for calories. It's not an enjoyable experience. I don't feel hungry in the same way I ever used to. And then I don't feel satisfied or full at the end of a meal the same way I used to. And I certainly don't enjoy eating the way I used to. Like the whole experience is like, I liken it to a chore. You know, yes, I have to do my laundry. Yes, I have to clean the bathroom. Yes, I have to eat food. Mm. It's just like one of the to-dos on the list. <laughs> yeah, when you get hungry enough. Yeah. So that's sad and lame. Like that feels like a big loss that I've had lots of tears over, but I've, I've, I've been a very healthy eater for a long time. And so I just continue to like make salads and soups and, you know, fruit smoothies and, you know, kind of just eat the same way I did before. I think I've lost some weight because I, I don't have the urge to like snack because what's the point? Or, or overeat, you know, like it, it just doesn't seem to be the point in it anymore. 
So I think I'm, I'm prob, I'm sure I'm eating enough calories. I, I seem to just be healthy as usual and I just am eating healthy foods. There's, I definitely have, I definitely am eating healthier in general, I think, cause I just don't have the desire to, to have unhealthy snacks because there just honestly doesn't seem to be a point. It's not enjoyable. Are you able to perceive like the five basic tastes of your food? Like, can you differentiate yeah. if something's salty versus sweet? Yes, I can. And uh, it's interesting because like I'll make a curry, say, you know, with curry and spices and garlic and onion and, you know, salt and pepper in there or whatever. And mm -hmm. all I can taste is the salt and pepper. Yeah. Right. Like the flavors are gone, but I can tell, oh, it's salty. And the peppery, I think we, I think that's that that heat that we pick up from our trigeminal nerve, that little Definitely. heat from the pepper. Yeah, I can taste like if I have chocolate, I can pick up the bitter and the sweet. And if I get salted chocolate, then it's like a, the bitter, the sweet, and the salty, which is that's kind of fun. Like mm -hmm. I enjoy that because I can have like the combination of those those tastes. But maybe yeah. the nuances of the chocolate are gone. They are, sadly. Right? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. have, um, I recently went home to visit my family. Um, yeah. And mom gave me a bag of chocolate-covered coconut almonds. Oh. And they're so delicious. And I think it's because it's crunchy, um, like the almonds and stuff like that. But in terms of, like, the nuance of the chocolate... I don't know that that's there anymore, but I still enjoy eating it because it's crunchy and it's chocolate and there's coconut. So like, it's kind of sweet and that, that kind of stuff. But I think that anosmia impacts our relationships with food on such a huge level. Mm -hmm. I just wrote few... that down, chocolate covered coconut almonds. I might check that out. That actually does sound fun. Right. Do you guys have Costco where you're, where you live? I mean, we have Costco in Canada, but just not in not in my small town. Okay, that's where they're from. They're from Costco, so oh, um, I'm you. sure I you can find note. them. Yeah, I'm sure you can find them elsewhere, but that's the, okay. that's the ones that I have. They came from Costco. Good. Yeah, and if you freeze them, that's that adds like an extra. I don't know the kind of exciting part of it. <laughs> like yes. a frozen, like it's a little more crunchy. Maybe I'm not sure, but they're good frozen. Right. So there's a few. I don't know if you are on Twitter, but if you are interested, there's a few Twitter pages that are focused on anosmia and eating. So there's like altered eating is one that's online where it talks about people's altered relationships with eating food. That one's oh. not specific to anosmia, but that one's a good one. And then um, Miranda is a lady who lives in South Africa and she runs a Twitter called um, My Anosmic Kitchen. And she yes. posts. Yeah, she posts recipes. I've seen yeah. her. Okay, I'm writing that down too. Yeah, so those ones are good. Great, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so my next question for you in terms of food is how do you figure out if your food is bad now that you have anosmia? It's hard. It's harder, for sure. I, I realize how, how much I smell. I was relying on smell for that. I try to go through things, you know, relatively quickly I buy groceries, you know, every couple of days, lots of fresh stuff, eat it in a few days time. Um, so that's fine. But I have had things in my fridge that I've said, just leave that till a friend comes over and ask your friend to help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, my son, after he finished college, he moved back in with me this spring, and he's living here mostly, but he's going to be moving out again shortly. Mm-hmm. But, like, sometimes I'll ask him to smell things. Sometimes I ask friends to smell things. So uh, I know sometimes people say, oh, I've got a designated nose. It's sort of a term I've heard in the anosmia world. Who's, right. who's your designated yeah. nose? <laughs> which, uh-huh. which I don't actually have a designated nose, but it would be very useful to have one for that. Yeah, I was. I don't remember who I was talking to, but they had they had recommended or suggested that it would be cool if we could have like um, smelling nose dogs or like yes, that's dogs right, could help us. Yes. yes, like how they have seeing eye dogs that can help you walk around. Like the same thing for food. <laughs> it could be I would very get one useful just to get a puppy. I love dogs, yeah. so that would be fun. <laughs> what is your most memorable anosmia experience? Whether it's funny or sad or um, something like that do you have a most memorable experience yet yeah I do actually it was pretty easy to, to come up with an idea for this question I I have had maybe about a dozen times in the last 15 months maybe maybe like 15 times I've had the experience of having a very 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 brief smell of something Mm. like just out of the blue you know it's not what I'm trying to use my snowmile training kit but just out of the blue I've had a couple times where I wake up in the morning and I roll over in bed and I could smell my sheets for like a split second and and then it was gone like I've had moments like that just suddenly unexpected a smell comes to me and so my memorable experience was uh, in May I was at a, a meeting I was out of town. It was this big committee meeting and there was a presentation going on. Like there was kind of a a stage up front. Some people were speaking and there was people were in the audience. We were sitting around tables and I, the woman next to me, she'd got up during this presentation and walked to the side of the room where there was like a table of, you know, for coffee and tea. And she came back and I didn't, you know, I didn't really notice that she'd gone or come. I was paying attention to the presentation at the front of the room. I was taking some notes but she came back and sat down and she sat, you know, she put up a, a mug of coffee in front of her and suddenly I could smell it like clear as day, this coffee, which I don't drink coffee, but I've always loved the smell of coffee. I think most people love the smell of coffee mm-hmm. and I could smell it like probably for a good four or five seconds. Um, and just powerful and clear. And I sat there and of course I'm in this meeting, all these professionals, there's a presentation going on and I just started to cry. I just, the tears are just coming down my face. I just silently crying (laughs) because I was so overwhelmed and thrilled to have that experience of smelling this coffee. And the woman beside me, I didn't know her. We'd introduced ourselves earlier, but she put her arm on my shoulder and she looked at me and she kind of mouthed the words like, are you okay? Oh, and I said, yeah, that's so I'm, nice I'm, of her. Yeah, she was very sweet. And after the presentation, there was a break and I told her like, I'm anosmic. I smelled your coffee. They were basically tears of joy. And she, she looked at me like, wow, that's crazy. You know, she just, that was all bizarre to her. But right. um, that was a very, that was a very powerful um, and memorable experience for me. That's awesome. I'm glad that she was, she was nice and kind about it. <laughs> she sure she sure was. Yeah, that's good. 
I, well, hopefully that, that sounds hopeful to me. Like it, it seems like you're getting snippets every once in a while. So maybe something's still going on up there in your nose. It seems like it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you, you shared your story with that lady um, when you had a break and the chance to kind of explain what happened. When smell is coming up for you in daily life, like when you're at work or you're out and about at the grocery store, do you do that same thing? Do you take the time to explain to people that you don't have a sense of smell? It's, it's rare that I'll explain it to strangers now. Um, I don't feel a need to talk about it. It's not, it's not so prominent in my mind like it was at first. You know, I remember at first thinking, oh, my gosh, I want to tell everybody this is crazy. What's happening to me? You know, I need help. What's going on? Uh, and I don't even think I did talk to strangers about it. But, you know, it was really on my mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I certainly talk about it with people who I have told before, my friends, my associates, people I see at work, my colleagues, Folks who know about it, but they may not have it top of mind all the time. You know, if I have a colleague say, oh, it smells like, it smells good in the kitchen today. Because there's this kitchen in our hospital, right? Like a, there's a cafeteria, a kitchen or whatever. And when you're walking down the hallway, sometimes you can smell what they're cooking. And if a colleague says, oh, it smells good. I'll say, what, is, what does it smell like? And, they'll, and then they'll be like, oh, right, you can't smell it. And I'll say, well, I'm, what is it? What is the smell? Oh, it smells like they're cooking a lasagna or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in the forest, you know, I live in a very forested area. I could be walking with a friend and she'll say, oh, it smells so good. And I say, what does it smell like? Mm-hmm. So not with strangers, but with friends, I, I, I'm always curious to hear their stories about what is it they smell? What's, what's around us? And then I use that often as like a, I feel like sort of like a, a, a smell training opportunity. Because if somebody gives me the cue, like they're cooking lasagna in the kitchen, I can smell it then I'll be like, okay, and I'll take some big sniffs and I'll try to remember what lasagna smells like. Mm-hmm. And I'll see if I can sort of reach for that. Um, I, I, I can't ever, but I like to try. Like I like to understand what's, what's in the world that maybe I could try to experience. That's good. That's a really good approach to it. <laughs> I have had experiences at work also where people may not remember. And I think I think it's important to remind the people that you work with since we do see them so often. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree. I think it can be difficult to, to explain what's going on to people that we don't know very well because it's emotionally tiring. It can be. Yeah. And then how much time do I have to explain this story to a stranger, right? right. It's tiring. Mm-hmm. I don't really have the time. Is it worth it? So my next question for you, do you self-identify as having a disability? This is interesting because it's changed for me. I remember um, when I felt so powerfully disconnected from myself and other people in the world. I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is a disability. Like, I've lost this ability. And I, I remember thinking that, that the word came to mind and I thought it was applicable. So that was my experience for a few months. But as I've lived longer with anosmia, understanding that I haven't had to change my life. I haven't had to... I really haven't had to adapt anything. And um, so often I think when people identify as being disabled, it's because the world has disabled them. You know, it's not themselves. You don't, you know, I may be deaf, but I live in a world that makes that a disability because other people don't use sign language or other people ignore me. 
And I, I haven't had to learn Braille. I haven't had to learn sign language, right? I haven't had to learn how to move around with a wheelchair or anything like that. I've, I've just been able to go about my daily life. And uh, so I'm not really thinking about it as a disability anymore. There are lots of people that can't do things. You know, think about, I don't know, uh, especially in North America, children squat all the time. They can like squat for hours and play with their Legos or whatever, little kids. But because we live in a world of chairs and couches and desks, a lot of us, when we get older, we sort of lose the ability to squat, which people in other places in the world maybe have. And I think, well, just because you, so you can't squat. Does that mean you're disabled? Probably not. You know, I can't smell. Does that mean I'm disabled? I don't, I don't think so. So that's changed a bit for me. It's an interesting perspective. Mm. <clears throat> that, that word is tricky. I like to yeah. ask people that question because everybody yeah, I has think it's a, a great different question. answer. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what would you want people who do not have anosmia, so people who can smell, to know about what it's like to have no sense of smell? I think acquired anosmia, which is what's happened to you and I, that, that condition seems to be a very different experience than congenital anosmia, people who are born anosmic. And I think our experience as acquired anosmics is really one of loss, loss and ad- adapting to that loss. And from what I've learned from congenital anosmics, um, my perspective is that their experience is one of mystery. You know, we mm. have this experience of loss and they have an experience of like mystery, you know, this unsolvable mystery. They'll never know what things smell like. You know, they just, they've never known. They don't have the loss. It's their, it's kind of like a, a life's, an enigma in their life. And um, so that's important for people to know that there's different kinds, you know, there's different kinds of anosmia and the experience is very different because I don't think congenital anosmics, from what I've learned and seen, they don't have this profound loss and grief that acquired anosmics have. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an important uh, understanding of the two of those experiences. Something else I want people to know is, I guess, I think I've explained this really well through this conversation with you, is how profound the loss is and how disorienting it is. It's, it's, a, it's a deep, deep loss. And, you know, we experience a lot of loss as an emotional experience, whether you're becoming an empty nester, which is a loss I've, you know, been transitioning through as my son is growing older, whether it's through divorce or death or unemployment, you know, loss is loss. And it's a, it's a deeply painful experience. Another thing I, I don't, I don't know if I want people to know this exactly, but this is an interesting tidbit is I'm becoming increasingly self-conscious about cooking for friends. Right. I used to cook, cook for friends all the time. Come over, I'll make supper, you know, let's have, you know, that kind of thing. Serve dinner at my house, have folks over for dinner parties. I feel more and more uncomfortable with that now. I feel really odd about serving people food. I worry that it's not good. You know, I used to, I used to feel quite confident in my cooking and I no longer do. I can relate to that 100% because <laughs> I do not like cooking nearly as much as I used to. And I think that that's a big part of it. Um, yeah. First off, I don't really enjoy it anymore. Uh, like the pro- yep. the process of it because you're not experiencing the smells. It's more like a chore, a task, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But also, what if it's horrible and they're just eating it to be nice? <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? That's so. a, that just feels kind of embarrassing. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I would agree with you. People, friends of ours, if it's horrible, you need to tell us. <laughs> That's right. If we smell bad, you need to tell us that, too. Yes. We won't be offended. <laughs> Um, awesome. Yeah, it's better to it's better to know. Yeah, it's like when you have a booger hanging out of your nose all morning, and then you finally go to the bathroom, and you're like, "Come on, people!" You're right. Like, <laughs> no one told me. I've been talking to like 14 different people this morning, and no one's told me I've had a booger. Yeah. What kind it's of like, friends are yeah. you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you could have a sense of smell again, would you want it back? I would want it back. Yeah, I would. I have three, I have three favorite dreams. Like, you know, I can't program my dreams. I don't have the ability of dream what I want. I know there's a few people in the world that say they can or whatever, but my three favorite dreams, I'll dream about my son when he was little, right? He'll never, ever be little again. I'll never have a baby again. I'll never have like that little boy again. So when I have those dreams, it is so precious. You know, oh, I had this dream that my son was little and we were playing or I was holding him. You know, that is just magical. And if I, when I also have, I also have this, sometimes I'll have a dream that I'm kissing an ex-boyfriend. That's really lovely. And my third, <laughs> and my, my third favorite dream is if I dream that I can smell. And yeah. uh, sometimes I dream that I can smell. And when I wake up from one of those, you know, three favorite dreams, I, I just feel so good when I wake up. So it, it is. It's a magical dream of mine that I could smell again. I figured you would probably want to have a sense of smell back since you have acquired anosmia like me. It, we right. know what it's like beforehand. So we know, like you said before, it's, it's a loss versus a mystery. Right. Um, so people that I've spoken to who have congenital anosmia have been kind of split on that answer. So I like asking mm-hmm. people and seeing what they think. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think you're right. The divide is a little different for congenital anosmics and acquired anosmics. Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, I do have one more thing. This is a really bizarre thing. And I didn't really put it together till just a few months ago. But sometime in 2017, I started having an experience that I didn't tell anybody, well, actually I did tell a few people about, but I had this, I was having this bizarre experience on and off, probably for close to a year that I just really just was my own personal experience that I thought I could smell cigarette smoke at times where there was nobody smoking cigarettes. Mm. So either a phantosmia or a parosmia, But I remember, you know, sitting in my apartment, I was living alone, my son was away at college, and I would smell this very powerful, like, cigarette smoke smell. And I live in a non-smoking building, and I thought, the people upstairs are smoking. This is a non-smoking building, what's going on? And I mentioned it to somebody in the building one day. And then I would have the experience at work. And I work in a hospital, which is a 100% non-smoking environment. And I'd be sitting at my desk, and I'd be like, who's smoking this is bizarre and I was convinced that somebody was smoking and I didn't know what the mystery was but I remember I didn't really say it to anybody and I had this experience on and off like it would kind of come and go 
you know, I remember smelling it sitting in my apartment. I remember smelling it in my bedroom at my apartment. I remember smelling it at work. And I thought, well, what, what's going on? But I didn't really give it much weight or consideration. And I kind of dismissed it. And then I forgot all about it until just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, did, was that like a precursor? Was that something was going on? Because I don't think there was any cigarette smoke. Like it was some kind of phantosmia or parosmia going on. Yeah, and maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so I actually haven't heard anybody else speak about this, which is why I sort of thought that's something else I'd like to share, that, I, that there was this mystery experience. And then out of the blue, I suddenly became a nosmic. And I'm curious if it's, if they're related or if it's part of, you know, a developing olfactory disorder that maybe I could have noticed at the time if I'd known more. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience. I don't know either. I'll have to, yeah, we'll have to throw that out there. If listeners have had that yeah. experience, they can definitely email me or send me a voice message and we can include it on your, on the episode that comes out after you. Yeah, neat. Yeah, because, of course, at that time, I had no idea that any of these things existed in nausea, phantasia, parosmia. I'd never heard of any of them. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure someone was smoking and just thought, oh, what's going on? That's terrible. I didn't really think that I might be crazy or that it was in my head. That never crossed my mind. But then, like, it seems like it must Now you connected. connect the dots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a sensation of a scent when I go outside sometimes. And I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like maybe gasoline um, or maybe like car exhaust or something like that. But it's not car exhaust. Like I can't, I can't say that that's what it is. It's just the idea of a smell. But it, oh. if I stay where I am at that time, it'll stay there um, oh. for a little bit. But as soon as I like move away, right. it, it goes away. But it's not at the same exact spot. So that's the mystery. Oh, that's quite the experience. I can kind of relate to that. It's happened to me yeah. a few times. It's so yeah, mysterious. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's not the same exact spot outside, but if I stay there, it'll it'll keep happening. But mm-hmm. very distracting when you haven't had a sense of smell for a while, and then all of a sudden you're like, "What? What is that?" <laughs> I know. What is happening? Is that smelling? Yeah. Uh, so, how can listeners connect with you on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter, and um, I believe my handle on Twitter is just Carrie Wall. Yeah. Perfect. My, the spelling of my name, K-E-R-R-I-W-A-L-L. Awesome. I'll have to make sure. Are you okay with me putting your Twitter handle in the notes? Yes. If people want to contact me on Twitter, that'd be great. Very cool. Awesome. Well, d- thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me today. It's been fabulous to talk with you. Thanks, Katie. I've really enjoyed it. And I especially want to thank you again for the good work you're doing here. I think it might be really interesting one day if someone could interview you for the Smell Podcast because uh, you're sharing so many other people's stories and maybe you've got an important story to share. That's true. I've thought about that before. I need to figure out who, who will be my interviewer. <laughs> well, I would be, I, you could consider me for the job if you wanted to. I'm sure you have all kinds of other people, though, who, who, would, be, who would enjoy that. But I, I think it'd be really nice. These, these stories are important. And like I say, they've, they've really changed and improved my life. And I I think the Smell Podcast can continue to change and improve other people's lives. Thank you so much, Carrie. It was really good to speak with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to the interview this week with Carrie Wall. 
If you would like to connect with her on social media, you can check out her Twitter at Carrie Wall, and it's spelled K-E-R-R-I-W-A-L-L. You can also learn more about her and find her website online at carriewall.ca. Carrie talked about how smell training has been an important part of her anosmia journey. If you would like to learn more about smell training, you can visit absent.org, and that's spelled A-B-S-C-E-N-T dot org. They're all over social media too, so if you want to check them out there, they have really excellent posts for those of us who are dealing with anosmia, so make sure to go and find them. Another thing that Carrie mentioned during our interview was her involvement with re-evaluation counseling and how that has been an excellent resource for her. According to their website, www.rc.org, re-evaluation counseling is a process whereby people of all ages and all backgrounds can learn how to exchange effective help with each other in order to free themselves from the effects of past distressing experiences. If you are interested in checking that out, I'll include the link in the episode description. So there's a special announcement for this week's episode. The University of Reading and Absent are looking for people who have parosmia to take part in a study. They want to learn more and help people who have that challenging condition. So if you're interested in being a volunteer, please get in touch with them by emailing them. I'll include their emails in the episode description, but the emails are j.k.parker at reading.ac.uk. And reading is spelled just like reading, so R-E-A-D-I-N-G. You can also email chris at absent.org, and her email is chris at abscent.org. They're actually currently in the recruiting phase, so now is the perfect time to get in touch with them. Don't forget that you can send me voice messages and provide feedback about the episodes or other things smell-related. I'd love to include your feedback on the show. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? If you'd like to send me a voice message, you can do that in the Anchor app or on the Anchor website online. If you have a story that you'd like to share or if you'd like to be interviewed for the show, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Smell Podcast, and you'll also find us on Instagram. I'm always interested in sharing your stories. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast on iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the podcast. And finally, if you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. And a huge shout out to everyone who currently contributes to the show. Your generosity makes the podcast possible. Until next time, have a great day. Mm